Hi, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And today we are interviewing Lucy Martinez. And this is going to be an, a really interesting interview, especially if you've been a product of divorce or if you have gone through it yourself. Lucy is going to help us understand how God works, even in the midst of that kind of pain. So welcome, Lucy. Thanks for being on this podcast with us. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I'm really excited to um, be able to talk to you guys and, and be able to help as much as I can. Why don't you, if you don't mind, talking a little bit about how we met. Okay. We met at the six-day silent retreat. We met in silence <laughs> initially, <laughs> but we actually got to talk during our last our last day. It was a, during the lunchtime, right? Yes, yes. We all happened to select a table, you know, which God obviously put us together, all of us that were in that table. And we got to share about our experience in the silent retreat. I guess I started sharing about how God was moving in my life during the silent retreat and just how some of the past hurt that I thought that I was fully healed from kind of came back up a little bit. I was sharing with with Kurt and, and others that were in that table of just how God was healing me during that silent retreat, during that time of prayer. And I think Kurt was sharing too. Yeah, I was. I don't remember anything I said, but I do remember <laughs> I do remember that you impressed me. And we were both pretty in tune with God, I'd say, after after uh, six days of silence and and having a spiritual director for a half an hour each day helping us understand and process where we were hearing God and how to move forward in that for the next 24 hours. So I heard clearly that I needed to invite you to be on this, uh, on this show. So really excited to have you. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about, you know, whatever you think would be relevant, like your, a little bit of your story? Yeah, I grew up in a small town population at the time. It was like 2000. Growing up in the middle of nowhere and everybody knows everybody by name. Everybody knows who you are by your last name. And every last name, you know, has like a form of reputation or a form of like uh, bringing honor or dishonor, you know, to your family. And so my family has always been very, I guess, rooted in, in our morals and our ethics and our values because my mom and dad, they were born and raised in Mexico. And at that time when they were growing up and actually even when I was like 12 years old and I went to go visit where they were from, you literally had to dig a hole in the ground to even go to number two. I know you guys did not expect I was going to say it. I said, <laughs> I said it. <laughs> and you literally had to walk to get water. Those are my parents. That's who raised me is like no electricity, cooking outside and using the restroom in the ground. And, you know, becoming United States citizens and raising a family of 10, you know, I'm the littlest. So we range from ages, like from 50 something, my oldest sister to me, which is like 30 something. We'll just keep it at 30 something. (laughs) That's been my upbringing, you know, like big family and just, yeah, very humble beginnings. But it sounds like what you were saying in the beginning is that there's strong ethics in that family, strong character. 
Oh yeah. That's my parents. They've always um, instilled, you know, value in us. And they, they said, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as whatever you are doing, you, you give it your all. You always do. My dad has always been a man to, to shake hands. And that's it. Your word is your word. And that's it. And that's been part of my struggle growing up because I, I carried on those values with my parents. I believe people when they told me things. <laughs> like I believe them because my dad, my dad would say, that's your word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when I would ask people and they would say, yeah, I'm like, okay. They said, yes, that means they're going to do it. <laughs> and no, because that's, that's who raised me. It's like, you have to be a person of your word. Once you say yes, it means yes. And no means no. So that's been some of my struggle, like in the world as, as a teenager and adult and realizing that someone's no is not always going to be a no. I mean, it's interesting you're talking about that because then that plays into marriage, right? Your yes being yes and your no being no. So being now divorced, I wonder how much you struggled in the marriage to fight to maintain your your vow and how much after the marriage fell apart. I wonder how much of a hard time you had in allowing yourself to be forgiven. Oh yeah. Like that's that's been such a long, long, long journey with uh my ex-husband. We met when I was 16. Yeah, he was 17 and you know, high school sweethearts. And uh, we dated for four years. He brought this very um, love to the to to our relationship that I never really felt with my parents, because they're always working. My Mm. parents were physically unavailable. And also emotionally unavailable because they would go to work at five o'clock in the morning. So they would get up sometimes at four, three in the morning, and then they would come back like at six o'clock in the evening. And then they would still have to shower, cook, clean, sleep, repeat for six days out of the week. And then the only day that they had was Sunday. And even on Sunday, we would go to church and then my parents, you know, we would go grocery shopping and then back home, cook and just that's it. That was basically my my main interaction with my parents besides going outside and and seeing what my dad was doing out in the yard but physically and emotionally available my parents they were only able to give me so much but I always had that understanding as a child so I lacked that love so my ex-husband brought that love in our relationship and I was just completely smitten by him because I got to feel a sense of physical affection and also emotional affection that I that I didn't get to experience most of my life. Since I believe the words that were spoken to me, <laughs> I believed it. <laughs> Are you talking about marriage vows there? Well, the dating process and then okay. also also getting married. I would just believe it. Like if he would tell me, I would just believe what he was saying. However, if I would have like read the Bible and would have been more, I guess, seeking more of a wise counsel. I would have been able to discern like, maybe this is, this may not be the, the right choice, but all, all I needed and all I wanted at that time was love because I, I felt so deprived of love that once I finally got it, it was just kind of like, I never wanted to let that go. Yeah. So it was like a sponge. Oh yeah. 
a dry sponge soaking up love like water. Yeah. And so you dated, you said you dated for four years. Yes. And then you get married. Yeah. So we got married. I think I was 20 and everything was great initially. And, you know, I've always wanted kids and, and I always dreamed of having my own family because I was finally in my head going to be able to feel that love that I never felt growing up as a child. So I was very excited to get our family started and boy, I didn't realize how much work it was. And I don't think he did either. Once we started, you know, having children, life started happening. Well, I guess life happened a long time ago, but you know, <laughs> the challenges started arising. You say you didn't realize how much work it was. What kind of things did you come to understand that you had to work at? Changing diapers and washing bottles not sleeping, <laughs> a lot of self-sacrifice, you know, it wasn't so easy anymore, where it's just two adults, you know, now you have a family, now you have responsibility, now you have to pay bills, now you have to do all these things that you didn't have to do once, that was challenging on its own, and then, and then at the time, being in my 20s, I was still growing up, and so was he, like, we were both still growing up, we're kids basically you know your brain doesn't fully develop i think it's in, until you're 27 i think don't quote me but you know yeah, i think it's 25 i think that's I think the general sense of it i think it's different for men and women oh well then it's probably 45 for men <laughs> what did you notice about your relationship with your husband what did it look like to have to work to maintain the relationship I think managing expectations, because I wasn't good at that at all. I expected too much. I think when you grow up on TV, you watch all these shows that paint how a marriage should look like. And in reality, that's not how it looks like. And then you go into a marriage, you don't see that. You're like, okay, what's wrong with my marriage? Okay, well, you need to be doing this and I need to be doing that. And we're not, we're not doing what we need to be doing. Do you remember some of the specific expectations that you had of him that were just too high? Oh, man. <laughs> we're going to confession today. Uh, there's so <laughs> many. Woo. When he would come home from work, I would give him the baby. I'm like, here you go. And I would not go back to sleep. And at the time, I wasn't physically working at a job, actual location. I was taking care of the kids. But our oldest son was not sleeping. And I was just, I was just so tired. So when he would get home from work, and this was 11 o'clock at night, I would just give him the baby and I would go back in the room and just close it and go to sleep. At the time, I didn't feel bad because he was playing video games. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, he's up playing video games, so he could have the baby next to him. Instead of like being like, well, maybe he needs this time by himself to kind of unwind. And I need to start to learn how to take naps. You know, or I need to learn how to do stuff during the day that I can do to kind of help my marriage be more successful or fruitful instead of relying on him to kind of um, help way beyond more than his fair share. Mm. I don't know. For me, I, I guess it didn't seem doesn't sound like that much of an unrealistic expectation, maybe just one that wasn't communicated in the best way, because, yes, he worked all day. But that doesn't mean that he couldn't give you a break with the kids. You know, if you're not sleeping, 
and he's going to be up. That doesn't feel like it would be an un, un, unrealistic expectation, but depending on the culture mm-hmm. and how the person you were married to was raised, I have friends who I love very much who have had a lot of similar problems. The husband was raised where his, his mom did everything and all his dad did was work. Mm-hmm. So he went into the marriage expecting that my wife's going to be with the kids all day, pretty much do all the cleaning and cooking and everything else. And I'm not responsible for anything other than maybe some discipline. And I've seen that pan out and seen her frustrated and upset. I think it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't communicate your expectations ahead of time, then everyone feels like their boundaries are getting crossed and they're not being respected or appreciated. And then, you know, you wind up with a mess or, you know, Maybe he was just being selfish sometimes and not wanting to help out. Everyone messes up. It takes, you know, both people messing up, unfortunately. So it sounds like stuff started falling apart once you had kids a little bit more. So how did that wind up ending up? I mean, well, I mean, we know how it ends up eventually, but like what started happening to lead to divorce? My firstborn, he was, he was not sleeping at all. He had some health issues at the time and And so he was basically sleeping every 30 minutes and I wasn't really sleeping. And then my ex-husband wasn't really sleeping. And so now you have a lack of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough one. (laughs) Yeah. And then kind of going back to the expectations, you know, even on the weekend, I would be like, Hey, like, are you going to paint the garage? Like, I would want you to paint the garage. Like, you know, I would basically set up things for him to do instead of like kind of focusing on a day of rest, like the Bible says, you know, the day, the day of rest has already been set up for us to be able to enter into the day of rest. Like it's already there. Some of us have not entered into that day of rest to kind of like refuel our oil to make sure our lights burn bright. And that way, when uh, God calls us to do certain things, we're able to do it. So I did not do that. I was all like, the garage needs to be painted. <laughs> I want that gar- I want what's that poxy stuff on the on the garage floor. I want it to be nice. So that, that's where I my mind was at. It was just things of like, okay, the house needs to be like this. The kids need to be dressed like this. And just so much expectation of how our family should look and be like. And then we started having more kids. So my three kids, they're all 18 months apart. So can you imagine that? Like the newborn, he turned, I think it was three at the time when I had an 18 month old. And then I had my daughter. And with all that is like, you know, responsibility, like bottles, no sleeping. And, and, you know, and then I felt now I'm not getting love anymore. Like I, I'm feeling mm. isolated. I'm feeling lonely. I'm, I'm feeling kind of back to childhood of, of not being able to have that emotional connection with, with uh, my ex-husband that I once had. Fast forward to the time of uh, the infidelity. I noticed that there's like this cold in our relationship more than ever before. And I would talk to him too about, I'm like, is there something going on in our relationship? why do I feel you so far? And, you know, he'd be like, you're crazy. It's all in your head. I don't know what you're thinking or what you're talking about. Like it's all in your head. 
no, like there's this coldness, like, and it's hurting my heart. I'm suffering. And I'm telling you, like, I'm trying to grasp for guidance. Like what's going on? And he'd be like, no, on your head, you're crazy. And all this time, I didn't know that I was setting up all these expectations. Literally, I did not know because I was doing the best I could with what I had at the time. And uh, he did not communicate with me that this is too much. He never said no. He was always yes, yes, yes. Even if he ended up not doing it. Yeah, I would just have to find out later that that yes meant really a no. Well, that's your background though, right? As you were talking about your family, it reminds me of your background. Your yes is your yes and your no is no. So you're... You were raised with a family that believed in that, right? Your word is yeah. your bond. And so like you were saying before, even when he was saying yes and he meant no, you were just taking it yes. at face value. Yeah. So that's difficult. Your expectations came from your family of origin, whereas his did as well. And it, it just reminds me of one of the things I offer when people come to me and they want to go through premarital counseling is we, we do this study mm-hmm. where they communicate their expectations on everything. Basically, the study walks them through what are your expectations when it comes to household chores? What are your expectations when it comes to finances, when it comes to holidays, when it comes to faith and sex. So they each get their own booklet, his and her booklets, and they work through that chapter and mark their expectations down. And then they come together after they do that and they share with each other. And there are some aha moments, right? So this is intentional communication of what their expectations are before they get married. And that's not typically the way we work We don't communicate our expectations because it's just, it's the fishbowl we grew up in and the water we're swimming in. We don't even know to do that. So it's not like a surprise that you and your ex-husband were coming together with a different set of expectations that were, for the most part, not being communicated to each other, especially when he's saying yes, and yet he's frustrated and not being honest with you. So you mentioned infidelity. Obviously, there was a point where you've discovered that his yes in this area wasn't really yes, you know, upholding his vows. If you don't mind sharing how you discovered that and what was the fallout with that? The way I discovered that, and and like I was kind of saying earlier, is just there was this coldness in our relationship. He didn't hug me as much. He didn't try to spend time with me as much. So there was a decrease in time being spent together. There was a decrease in intimacy. There is more now of, a, of avoidance, even on the days that he didn't have work. He would say that somebody needed his help. He would just find a way to leave. That was the initial part where I noticed that something was wrong. And then when I talked to him about it, he was like, no, you're crazy. It's all in your head. So then I'm like, well, maybe I am crazy then. I'm like, maybe it's all in my head. I'm like, because I would never believe that he would be cheating anyways. He also had female friends that he would invite over and stuff. And I didn't think nothing of it because they were nice to me. And, you know, we're all friends and I just believed him. But the, the time came where I realized that there was something significantly wrong was when we were in the pool and I leaned in to give him a kiss, instead of giving me a kiss back, his reaction was to push me away. 
he's never done that before. But that was his instant reaction he, to push me. I looked at him like startled, like what happened? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. He just grabbed me and, and hugged me and kissed me. And I was just like, what is going on? This does not feel good. And I remember right then in that moment, I knew something was going to happen that was going to shift my whole life. Even though I never would have thought he would have cheated. I never thought that for one split second. I was thinking, I'm like, he must be doing drugs. He's either, he's, it's something big. I'm like, I don't know what it is, but it's something big. So I remember that at that moment, I'm like, I'm going to wait till he goes to work and I'm going to look at his phone record. So then that night when he went off to work, I went and looked at the phone record. And I remember there was this one number. It was just like so many times, like 50, 60 text messages and phone calls. And, and I remember looking at the phone record and be like, this can't be a guy. I mean, guys don't text each other that often. And there were all the hours of, of when I was asleep. Oh, man, he's cheating on me. Did you confront him? Or how, oh, yeah. how did that oh, yeah. go? That did not go good at all. I printed out the records and I went through it and I, and I called the numbers and, and a, a woman answered it. And so then that's how I knew. I'm like, okay, it's a woman. He's texting a woman. I didn't tell him till the morning. And that's because he would get home at 11 o'clock at night. And so I was going to tell him in the morning because I wanted to be able to actually have a conversation with him. And I remember telling him, so are you talking to any women? Or like on the phone, like text messaging them or anything. No. What are you talking about? Um, I look at the phone record and then you, you are, you, you've been texting someone like all kinds of times. Are you cheating on me? And I just like asked him straight out. That's just the way I was and the way I am. And he's all like, no, you're crazy. It's all in your head. And why would you think that? Well, who else would you be texting like 50, 60 times a day. So back then text messaging like that was not like it is now. Now it's like you will text 50, 60 <laughs> times. Back in 2012, it was not like that. He's like, no, it's on your head. And I was like, no, that was a girl. He's like, oh, that's, that's, my, um, that's my friend's wife. And I was like, why are you texting your friend's wife? And I don't even know what excuse or what lie he said at the time. But I just remembered at that moment, just feeling so isolated and just so lonely. And I was crying. I'm like, just tell me what's going on and, and let's and let's solve this. Like, let's just solve this. And this is me trying to control the situation, by the way. My whole world felt like it just crashed down right then and there. It was so hard to feel that alone and to feel that isolated. It's such a horrible feeling. So I remember I was like laying there, literally on the floor, <laughs> fetal position, because I felt like my whole life was falling apart. And I felt like everything that I've ever wanted in my life, which was a family. And that's it. I didn't care about any education. I didn't, I didn't care about any of that. So I felt like everything I've ever wanted, even from childhood, was just done at that moment. And I was just in so much pain. And I remember him just looking at me and, and saying, get over it. And just, he left. And I'm like, who are you? You know, I remember like, I don't even know you. Like, why would you talk to me that way? 
at that moment, I was just like, why? Why is this happening? I, I've always wanted to be able to say, I've been married for 40 years. I've been married for 50 years. Like, I've always wanted to be able to say that. And at that moment, I felt like a complete failure. Mm. When it comes to like the divorce, that was obviously the moment where things shifted that ended in divorce. What were the consequences for you when the divorce was final? It actually didn't end there. Okay. He refused to uh, acknowledge the cheating, even though I ended up finding out and all that. And it was for fact, I sought out counsel from our church. And I thought the priest was going to tell me, like, you have to get back with him. I was prepared to hear that. And actually, that was the opposite. You know, I told the father, Father Scott at the time, and I, I told him the whole story. And he said, you don't have to get back with him. Is he here? And I said, no. And he said, did you invite him? I said, yes. Okay. He's not willing to make this work. Mm. He's like, you have to let it go. But we went nine months with, with the separation. And then I still gave him a chance. Even after Father Scott said no. Even after I felt like God telling me no. You know, because I was like, no, this must be from the devil. Because the Bible says no divorce. But the Bible says it gives certain provisions. I, I didn't want that. So I gave him another chance after nine months. And then he did something else. He uh, did drugs. And, and this time he involved a family member. He tried, you know, to get that person to go get him some drugs. And that's where I was just like, he drew the line. When I gave him the second chance, I said, no cheating and no drugs. That's it. Those are my two deal breakers. Other than that, we can work through it all. Just don't do those two. It had to be so clear for me to leave that marriage. It, it was not just drugs. It was like drugs involved with the family member, yeah. you know, like, you know, trying to get that family member to get him drugs, a female family member. It was just so many betrayals to me at, at one time. And that's when it was completely, I was done. <laughs> what was God doing in the middle of all this? When I was in that room in fetal position, like I started asking God, Why? <laughs> I was like, God, why? If you love marriage, why my marriage? When I never even dreamed of much, just a family. You know, so I started asking those questions, why? And in that, God just held me. He gave me that love that no one was able to give me. He gave me mm. that comfort that no one was able to give. So in that brokenness, God was healing and in that walking, it was, his, it was his feet that were doing the walking. And I learned how to lean on him for everything instead of leaning on people, like leaning on my ex-husband. They no longer became my idol, my God. God became my God. And rightfully so, he became in that position where he wanted to be in, which is number one in my heart. And that's just how he was, he was showing up in my hurt, in my pain. And even, even when I wasn't doing what I needed to be doing, he was just so gentle all the time, you know, just always so loving. I just never got it. I'm so not perfect. Like, how could you still love me? It was just his unconditional love and his presence. He's just very faithful. 
I love that you came to him with the question. Uh, you came to him with why. Anytime we come to God, that's exactly what he wants. And Jesus says, the book of Matthew, one of the four accounts of his life, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest for your souls. For I am humble and lowly of spirit. Such an incredible revelation of who God is, you know, to us, who Jesus is to us. Any question we can bring to him is good. And we bring ourselves to him in our anguish. I found, though, that there's a better question than asking him why. And the question is, instead of why is this happening, God, where are you working? What I hear is while you ask the question why, God answered the other question, where are you working? And he showed himself to you and how he was ministering to you and how he was kind and gentle and how he held you and how he helped you see that all of these things that we hold on to that are created things all lead to death mm-hmm. because everything besides him has an end, yeah. which means death. Every relationship, every person we're ever going to be related to in a physical sense will have an end except for God. And so when we hold to him above everything else, he is the one who carries us. When we tie ourselves intimately to him, he's the one who carries us from death to life through endings to new beginnings. But when we choose to hold on to people and things over him, we are tying ourselves to endings and death. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Romans 1 where it tells us that God's wrath is on not man, it's on man's unrighteousness, his attitude, his stubborn attitude to choose to worship the created things and suppress the truth of who God is. So I love, first of all, that God's wrath is not on man there. It's on his attitude and choices. And then I love that how God's wrath is still shows love. It's a holy wrath. It's different from my anger is selfish, right? And most of the time. But God's wrath, it says, in his wrath, he gave them over to the things they wanted. So these things they were pursuing created things that end in death. And God said, okay, I'll get out of the way and let you pursue them. In the hopes of, and this is the love of God, the hopes that they would taste that and go, no. And that's what I hear in your story, is you tasted those endings and realized the invitation that God was saying, hold to me in my life, not these things. And you chose God. You chose life and turned to him and let him give you what he had to give. Oh, yeah. It wasn't that, that clear, like how you're putting in a pretty little bow. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that clear at the time, you know, but that's exactly what it was. In my younger self, the asking the why was where I was at. And that's one thing that I've learned about God is that we don't always have to have the right questions, even the right conversation. But if we could just get to the point where we talk to him with our heart, he'll just answer us. It may not be the answer that we want, but it will be exactly what we need. In the midst of all of this happening, what were some of the specific hurts and consequences and, you know, like that 
the painful consequences of the divorce? And how did God speak to you through that pain? Oh, there's too many. I think the main one, when you get married to become one, when you decide to divorce, there's this tearing because it's not like two are no longer one, (laughs) but there's this tearing that you carry with you, even though you're healed, you know, because God heals you, but there's still this tearing and it's not like you're going to undo that scar. It's not clean. Yeah. And it's It's never going to be clean. It's like two pieces of paper that you glue together. Yes. When you try to tear those apart, they're not coming apart clean. Right. And then there's, there's repercussions to that. Like with the kids, the ultimate pain comes in with the children. Mm. So if I have to say something hurt me the worst, I can't even say within me, I, I would have to say the, the worst pain was uh, seeing my children during the holidays, during Christmas time, birthdays, you know, there's no, there's no greater love, you know, than God's love for us. And I'm so thankful that God gave us the opportunity to be able to lead his children, you know, which is our children into the way of life that he wants us to lead them. So when we see them in pain, it's like a ripple effect. It pains us. So I just can't imagine like how much pain God has when we hurt. That's the deeper pain is when I, when I got to see the pain in my kids' eyes during Christmas time, not knowing how to put a toy together and me looking at them kind of like, I don't know either. (laughs) Or like wanting Christmas lights in the house. I don't know how to do that either. Like just little things or, or having to protect her. There's those things. And as you can hear in my voice, there's always going to be that tearing. But the awesome thing is that turns into joy because you're able to speak about how God was there with you and your children during those times. But it's nothing or not anything that you would wish on anyone or for it to happen again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So in the specifics of your children, where did you see God at work You know, in that pain? Or did you see him moving in the lives of your children or in your relationship with your kids? They're so focused on God now. Mm. They, we pray before every single meal. They use verses in the Bible to explain things or even to correct me. I just like look at them sideways like, what? Goodness, like, who am I raising? Calm <laughs> down. You know, but it's awesome because they are being more patient. They are being more loving and they're, they're getting to see firsthand, you know, the need of a man in a house and how important it is to be equally yoked when you get married and when you're making that those steps forward. And as you mentioned, Kurt, you offer some training and some classes to kind of help couples decide that and kind of communicate those major things that would lead to a divorce. So that's good that, you know, that, that you're offering that because a lot of our youth, a lot of people need that. Um, I actually should be mandated somewhere <laughs> before getting married. I don't know. You know, and my church did offer spiritual counseling. They did. But I think going in through the needy, needy, gritty, kind of like how you were saying, like, what are your expectations of finances? What are your expectations of cleaning and work and kind of like applying it to self and working it out? I think that's a must because 
it could go in through one ear and out through the other if we're just talking about it generally. But when you have to apply it to yourself, it's like, wait a minute, you know, you have to really reflect. So I think that's really important. But um, the kids, they have grown drastically. They just rely on God. If anything, they'll, they'll pray about things now. They'll seek him first. I also tell them, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm like, Jesus is the only one that's perfect. That's why I'm like, you know what? I need to pray. Or if I don't pray, I'm not going to be as patient with you. As much as I want to be patient with you, I'm not going to. So it's better for you to let me pray. (laughs) You need that quiet time. (laughs) Well, what I hear in that is you had a realization that God was the be all end all for you and no one else. Like you said, in the midst of that pain. And you've learned to go to God first. And what I just heard from you, you are making disciples like Jesus tells us. The Great Commission is to go into, you know, go into the world and make disciples, right? Or as you're going, make disciples, you know, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus told us. There's no primary place where that is to be found in our lives than with our kids, And here I just heard you say, God taught me to go to him first, and I am teaching my kids, and they're doing it. They're going to God first. That's an amazing blessing. It it didn't just start and end with you. It continues with them. And Lucy, that is amazing. Like, I want to tell you, I just respect you in that for raising them up. So what a blessing. Yeah, thank you. And it reminds me of like Hannah, like in the Bible, I was, I was um, reading about Hannah yesterday. And, and, you know, Hannah was going through so much pain. And who, who was the other the other wife? Who would do you remember yeah, her adversary? Like, but this other woman, you know, she would terrorize her basically and, and, and laugh at her about how she doesn't have any children. Hannah would cry and she would just pray to God. And just year after year, the other woman would laugh at her because, you know, she had more kids. Well, she had kids and Hannah mm-hmm. didn't have any. And then finally, Hannah started praying and, and asking God, like, if you give me a child, like I, the child will serve you. All those pains that she was going through was preparing her. We go through certain pains to birth something way greater than our, than our own thinking and understanding. In light of that, was there other blessings? looking back that were birthed through this turmoil? I think um, would be my growth in, in, in loving myself and respecting myself. I think those are, those are the biggest ones. Yeah, your dependence on God, depending and believing what he says about you. Mm-hmm. From what I remember, you know, part of depending on him, you became a, a student of prayer and learning to pray and teaching your kids, but you also became a, stu- a student of the word in the midst of this. That wasn't necessarily true before all of this, correct? Oh, right. Yeah, no, I, I always prayed as a kid. Like my whole life I prayed, I went to church. But after all that, like I would read the Bible. Like I started reading the Bible and I would read for hours and hours. And even before I had to go to work, I'm like, man, I have to go to work. <laughs> and because I was just so into like reading, you know, and there's so much wisdom in it. And I just found the love of our God's love letters because they that's what they are. They're love letters. And I found my love for, for his letters. Mm. And I just love reading them because mm. they bring so much peace and so much wisdom and just so much comfort. 
that and then and making space and time to pray first thing in the morning because I want I want God to be the first thing that I that sets up my whole day. You know, I want to be able to make space and time for him to be able to move me in the direction that he wants to move me and not just my own desires, but his desires. That's how I start my day. And that's how I end my day. Well, it just flows out of you. It's easy mm-hmm. to see. I was kind of laughing, not not in a bad way, but just hearing your story just reminds me of what God's been highlighting and what is on one, of the, one or two of the notes that Kurt got left. It's something I picked up when I was in Youth with a Mission. It's just the idea. It's like, you go, God, what do you want to say to this person? Is there anything you want to highlight? And then if it's scripture or if it's quotes, you write it down. And I like to do it and then hide it around his office. <laughs> so he randomly finds them. It's like a little treasure hunt. So he was gone for 10 days. So I got the fun of getting to do this without having to worry that he was going to randomly show up. So I had been on Facebook and someone randomly just posted part of a scripture from Ezekiel chapter 37. And it's just, can these bones live? And I just couldn't get the thought out of my head. And then it was just, it feels like it kind of fits in so well with your story. It's like, I'm in the message translation for this one. Uh, But starting verse 11, it's like, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Listen to what they're saying. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. There's nothing left of us. But therefore prophesy, tell them, God the master says, I'll dig up your graves and bring you out alive, O my people. Then I'll take you straight to the land of Israel. When I dig up graves and bring you out as my people, you'll realize that I am God. I'll breathe my life into you and you'll live. I'll lead you straight back to your land and you'll realize that I am God. I've said it and I'll do it. God's decree. And it just lines up so beautifully with your story of just feeling like there was nothing left. Mm-hmm. Like your, your dreams had been crushed. And then God going, look, no, I've got life for you. Let me breathe my life into what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, your story just reminds me so much of that passage. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. And it's not just for, for you and your kids. It's always bigger than us. Whatever he's doing is always beyond us. And so, right, that's why we're doing this, right? We're doing this for other people to hear your incredible story of how God has taken you through the, you know, the death of a marriage into new beginnings and and resurrection power so that they can have hope. And so, as we end this, Lucy, would you be willing to pray Mm -hmm. for those who are listening, for those who are grieving the death of relationships and marriages and and any other kind of death that they might be experiencing. Okay, sounds good. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for gathering us here. Thank you so much, God, for Kim and Kurt and all the people that are are listening to you, Father. We want to thank you so much, God, and we want to thank you for your perfect ways in, in which you work and your faithfulness We want to thank you for all your love and your compassion and your mercy. Thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you so much for giving us this book where you clearly instruct us in the right way of living, not because we have to do things a certain way to get a certain thing, but because you don't want us to hurt. You don't want us to have unnecessary pain. So we want to thank you, Father, for giving us these beautiful love letters. And we want to thank you so much, Father, for having Kurt and Kim have these podcasts to help all those who are currently suffering, all those who are currently going through any type of divorce or any type of separation. 
or any type of pain in their family where it's being broken apart. Father, I ask that you heal that family because you're, you're God. You're the God of, of all of us, Lord. Yes. So I ask that you heal all the families. I ask that you have husbands be able to be the leaders and women be able to be the helpers. And, and I ask God that we have a, a revelation of wanting to go back to the roles in which you already designed for all of us to have. And that's with love and respect for one another and to raise our children in the way where you see fit, Father. And that is in your word. So I want to thank you so much, God, for all the healing that you're doing. I want to thank you so much, Lord, for all the shaking that's going on. Because and in that shaking, you are breaking things apart that do not need to be there anymore. You're, you're breaking and you're tearing down idols. You are tearing down falsehood. And instead, Lord, you're, you're replacing it with truth. And you're encouraging us to seek your spirit because you've given us the spirit, Father. So allow, Lord, families to seek you wholeheartedly. And instead of choosing to run the other way, Lord, we ask them to run to you and to put you in the middle of their marriage and to put you in the middle of their own heart. So we ask all this in your name, Lord. That every single person that listens to this, that they are able to be fully restored and healed and that they're able to seek you wholeheartedly and seek a personal relationship with you, God, because you are the truth and the light and you reveal all things. So we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Something popped into my head while you were praying. <laughs> And there's another blessing that came out of this. You you told me, um, you told us that you know before this you weren't concerned with education or anything. You were just wanting to be a mom, and that's a noble endeavor, right? But mm-hmm. through this process, other things have developed, and you went back to school, correct? Oh yeah, I went back to school and I got my doctorate in clinical psychology. And that's yeah. what you do now, right? Yeah, I'm a psychologist. So the Lord was in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was that was one of the fears that I've had was like, God, I'm like, how am I going to financially provide? How am I going to do it? And God just put it in my heart. Don't worry about money. I'm going to bless you double fold. Like, don't even worry about that. Just lean into me. Seek me first. And he's faithful. He, he always carries through with all his promises. That's amazing. And you also share as you're going along the journey, not just with your kids and not just here, but you have a YouTube channel. I would love for you to uh, just, if you're open to that, is tell people where to find you on YouTube. Isn't it just your name, Lucy Martinez? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think it's just Lucy Martinez. I recommend you type in Bible after your name. Otherwise, you're going to get a few other uh, (laughs) interesting hits. Okay. So good. Okay, good. Kim, so Lucy Martinez Bible. And that and then, then you were the first one that shows up for me, at least when I type that in. Thank you, Kim, for doing the research really quick. Well, you know, nothing like making sure. <laughs> and I just, there are little YouTubes. I literally sit, sit next to my fireplace in the mornings while I'm praying. And then if I get a message, you know, or something that God revealed to me during prayer, I just do a little random video, nothing professional, nothing like that, but it's, it's the message of the spirit. And 
And to me, it's, it's not something that I could hold back on. It's something that, that I, I, I need to put out because it's not mine only for me. It's, it's for everyone. Well, it doesn't need to be professional. I mean, come on, how many, how many YouTubers out there are just raw and honest and people are drawn to that. People are drawn to honesty. That's what matters. And like you hear from God and as raw and honest as it is in that moment, you put it out there. That's what this world needs, needs that kind of transparency and vulnerability. And so I applaud you for that. So thank you for being so honest and vulnerable, not just to Kim and I, but to everyone listening. It, it's just been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you both. And this is not the end. This is only the beginning. There's more to come from Life Hurts, God Heals. So keep listening. And please know you can reach out to us with any of your questions, your prayer requests, or if you need help because you're feeling stuck in some area of your life. I am a coach for transformation that helps people move forward on their journey. If you want more information or you want prayer or you have questions, you can email me at coachkurt777 at gmail.com. And as always, Remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.